as we prepare to listen to God's word read and proclaimed. Let us join together in prayer. O oh God, open our hearts and Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born, while I was in my mother's womb. The Lord named me. The Lord made my mouth sharp like a sword. In the shadow of God's hot hand, I was hidden. The Lord made me a polished arrow, and the God's quiver, I was hidden. And the Lord said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered for him, and I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. The Lord says, it is too light a thing that she should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and the Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. This ends our first reading. I have to say, I read an article this week about church life, and um, it's just so good to have the choir singing, uh, because they said that folks, when they gather for worship, they're not coming to hear the sermons, it's to sing together. Um, So I know the truth, and I'm okay with it, because I also love communal singing, so thank you, choir, for the gift that you offer to this congregation. Thank you. So our gospel reading for this day comes to us from the Gospel of John, verse 1, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. Let us listen for God's word speaking to us this day. The next day, leap in the story here, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after he comes, a man who ranks ahead of me, after me comes, sorry, let me start that again. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have been, have seen, and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas which is translated, Peter. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, in the heart of the Bible Belt, I did not actually have the greatest introduction to Jesus. You see, I did not grow up going to church I grew up at the Dock Street Theater, where my dad was a professional stagehand. On Sundays, when everyone else was at church, my family was at the Dock Street, helping the actors get ready, helping my dad sweep the stage. I grew up at the feet of actors who were embodying stories for others' enjoyment. That was enough to make me different in the eyes of everyone in the South. And even though I did not attend Sunday school, I heard plenty about Jesus. But I did not hear about the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. From the mouths of churchgoers, I heard about a judgmental Jesus who was here to smite the wicked like me, unless we changed our ways and got ourselves to church. I heard about a judgmental Jesus who said that the people that I knew because I was in the theater were going to burn in hell. It was not a Jesus that I really wanted to get to know. But somehow... I knew enough of the story of Jesus. Maybe it was the peanuts. Maybe it was culture in general in Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know. But I knew enough of the story that this message I was receiving each and every day of my life growing up just wasn't 
the Jesus in the Bible. And deep in my soul, there was conflict. Deep in my soul, something just wasn't right. Because of that conflict, because of that judgment that just came at me day after day, week after week, I actively rejected church all the way through high school. You're going to church? Forget it. (laughs) I'll spend the night Friday night, not Saturday night. You're going to church? You're going to youth group? No, thanks, not for me. That was not where you were going to find me. It wasn't until I went to college. I bucked the trend. I went to college, and I discovered church. I discovered Jesus. I was introduced to the living Jesus on the campus at Clemson University. It was the first day of my freshman year. My parents had just dropped me off in Johnstone Hall. My roommate was weird, so I wanted to get out of there. They had left for the long drive home, and so I called my friends from home who were also on campus, and we met to explore campus and avoid those awkward interactions in your dorm. So we explored, and we walked around, and then we quickly grew bored about what were we going to do. And it was during that walk that my friend Nancy, that I grew up with, suggested that we go with her to the Presbyterian Student Association to see her camp counselor, who was this really cool guy. It took some convincing. And we were sitting on the lawn in front of the president's house thinking, should we fork the president's yard or go to church? And we decided that on the first day of school, maybe we should go to church. And we trusted Nancy. We knew her. She knew all that we had been through. And we said, sure, let's go. And y'all, walking into that student group that day was like coming home. The campus minister and the gathered community there acted like John the Baptist. They introduced me to the Lamb of God who came away, who came to take away the sins of the world. They introduced me to this joyful, loving Jesus who was creating space. That campus minister and that community there helped me to find my place in the embrace of God and to know that God loved me just as I am, and that God loved all people in all of our uniqueness, just as we are. During this season of Epiphany, the stories of Scripture help us to see how the world continues to encounter and recognize the presence of Emmanuel, God with us in the world. That is what happened to me that first day of my freshman year, and it continues to happen to each and every one of us every day as the light of the nations comes and shines in and through us. In our passages today, in Isaiah, the servant of God says he or she was named and claimed by God for a purpose. The words were, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But the Lord doesn't stop there. 
God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. It is too light a thing that that is your only call. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too light a thing that the story is contained here. It is too light a thing that you will only encounter the people in your family. You will only encounter the people in your church. I have given you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It is too light a thing that you would not introduce others to the goodness and graciousness of God. No, you shall tell my story to the ends of the earth. Isaiah is telling us that the stories of salvation are not for the ones who know the story, but they are for those who are going to hear it, wherever they may be. The stories of salvation are not for those who already know them, They are for those who will hear them wherever they may be. It's clear to me that in the gospel, the people feel this pull to tell God's story with every fiber of their being, just as the prophet Isaiah did. Today's gospel reading is a whole sequence of people who tell each other that they have seen Jesus and who they think Jesus is. My, uh, one of my professors, my Greek professor in seminary, Stan Saunders, would always tell us, when you are doing exegesis, when you are reading the text, preparing for worship, or to write papers or whatever, you read it in your dorm room or your apartment. But I want you to get out and to read it in different contexts. So I would when I was in seminary, go to the mall, go to the movie theater, go wherever. And I was there, I was, the, that guy with my Bible open, reading the text. But it was amazing, because he was right. Because context matters. Where you read God's story matters. And so I began to see things differently. So this week, as I was preparing for worship, I found myself downtown in my office, reading the passage Playhouse Square, reading the passage. Tower City, reading the passage. And I just began to notice the people on the street. And I giggled because I was like, John the Baptist was people watching. John the Baptist was there, leaned up against the bodega. Oh, there's Jesus! There's the Lamb of God! Can you see it? You know, he's just standing there, the text says. And then he announces, here is the Lamb of God! The way I see it in my theater head, John the Baptist is relaxing. The crowds are milling around him, and he just can't contain himself. The text says Jesus was approaching, and John the Baptist blurted it out. Here is the Lamb of God. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Can you see it? The guy leaning against the bodega just spouting off. And I bet everyone around him was doing this. Turn your head, keep going, avert your eyes. You know the people I'm talking about. We've all done it. I bet everyone was wondering what this guy was talking about. Undeterred, John finds himself in the city again the next day. And he does the exact same thing. This time he has two of his disciples with him. And when he sees Jesus on the street, he begins to tell the story again. Look, here is the Lamb of God. But at that point, the story moves on. John might have kept going, we don't know. But two of his disciples peel off and follow Jesus. Before he can continue going into more details, the disciples have left him and they are following the one that they have been introduced to. The one that John the Baptist announced and claimed was the Son of God. We don't know at this point in the text what the disciples' names are. We just know that they followed. And noticing that that he is now being followed, Jesus stops. And for the first time in this gospel, Jesus speaks. Now given that we don't encounter Jesus in in this gospel until he is an adult, I always expect his first words to be profound and to blow my socks off. But they are next to normal. He says to Jesus' disciples, what are you looking for? And John's disciples could have said, we're looking for hope. We're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Son of God. We're looking for God's Spirit. But instead, they meet Jesus and they say, Where are you staying? Many scholars believe, it's a weird question in my mind, but many scholars believe that this question has really been lost in translation. They explain that this question was not about lodging, but about the nature of Jesus himself. Offering instead that they would have been asking something along the lines of, Who are you? Or, Where is the center of your life? Who are you? Where is the center of your life? But Jesus doesn't try to explain. He doesn't try to offer words. He merely invites them to come and see. He invites them to journey with him, to remain with him. The text offers this weird detail that it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Too late to go home, too late to get a meal. So they're kind of committing to be with Jesus for a minute. So they're together. He invites them to come and see what he's about. To witness for themselves the center of Jesus' life. 
From the text, we know that they do remain with him. But in a passage that is full of details and personal testimony, we don't know much about what happened when they were with him. Something happened. These two disciples were with Jesus for a minute. Something happened. And we know that it was transformational. Because Andrew, we finally get a name of a disciple, Andrew leaves at some point and runs to tell his brother. He has witnessed something amazing because he runs out to tell others about it. He runs to Simon Peter exclaiming, We have found the Messiah. And while it is not recorded here, my best guess is that he says, Come and see. We have found the Messiah. you got to come. Come with me. Come and see. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us what happened, what Andrew witnessed. But I dare say that a few of us have an idea. I bet that more than a few of us have had a similar experience. A time when we have been invited to come and see, only to find ourselves in the presence of the living God. A time that transformed our living. A time that gave us a new vision for the ways things can and should be in the world. A time that left us wanting to share with others, to introduce others, if you will, to the work of the Spirit in our lives. That's what happened to me on my first day at Clemson. I walked into a place and I left saying, come and see this thing that has happened. Transformed the direction of my life. I've been with you all for a few months I know that the Spirit is alive in this place. In knowing that we each have been called by name and charged to be light to the nations, I wonder how good we are about introducing others to the life-changing grace of God at work in the world, at work here. I wonder how open we are to inviting others to come and see this amazing thing that is happening. How does our witness introduce others to the power of Christ's love at work in the world through this place, through our common life in this community? How do we witness to the transforming love of God and God's incarnate word working in our lives? In this time of transition, as we seek a new interim pastor, how are we reaching out to our members and friends that we haven't seen in a while? Post-pandemic, people have drifted. John's gone, long-time pastor, more crucial than ever for our witness to be inviting and encouraging our brothers and sisters to gather together to experience the Lamb of God who came, 
came to take away the sins of the world. The idea of witnessing, of introducing others, uh, inviting others, makes many of us uncomfortable. We're Presbyterians. Listen, I 100% understand this. Remember, as a youth, I ran away from people who would witnessed too aggressively, who ignored how God was already working in a person's life. Because it did not look, because I did not fit a cookie-cutter mold. I ran away from that. So I truly understand the discomfort of introducing, of inviting. But my friends, this is not the kind of witness that we see here in Scripture today. Here in Scripture, we see simple invitation. Come and see. We see introductions. There's Jesus. There is the Lamb of God who changed my life. We see time spent together. We see relationship at the heart. I think this form of invitation, of introduction, makes a lot of us feel a lot more comfortable. The sharing of our very selves so that others might see and experience the love of God present in our lives. We have been given as a light to the nations. To make it more personal, you, you have been given as a light to the nations so that God's story of love and grace might be made known to the end of the earth. You have been given as a light to Rocky River. You have been given as a light to Cleveland. You have been given as a light to the street that you live on, the cul-de-sac where your house resides. You have been given as a light to the aisle at Target. You have been given as a light to the nations so that God's story of love and grace might be made manifest in the world. God wants the story of salvation told and calls people to tell it. Calls them from their very beginning to introduce the stories of salvation to others, to use our words, and more importantly, our deeds, to point to the Lamb of God, so that others will know of the redeeming love of God in the world. So my friends, I ask you again, will you help embody the light of salvation to all people? Will you, like John the Baptist, get so excited about the work of God in the world and in this place that you can't help but share it by introducing others to God's goodness made manifest in your life? You have been given as a light to the nations. And from where I stand, we are blessed because of it. Amen.